Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Exposed. Now, I'm Joseph Shepard. I'm your host, and we dive into the lives of the individuals who, you know, we're on a RuPaul's Drag Race franchise. This is the first queen that I am interviewing from this franchise. You all have hated this franchise. You guys have come against it, and we are going to talk about it, but I'm so excited to welcome Electra Shock. Hey, hey. Hey, Joseph. Thank you for having me. The first one. I am so honored. Yeah, you are the first one. You were, you were also like my standout the whole time. You brought a personality. You brought a drive. You brought everything that we needed. You, you made um, Drag Race Down Under sane. Drag Race Down Under, The Electra Show, they're one yeah, and the same. They're yeah. the exact yeah. same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I would love to know, like, when you were growing up and when you were a child, were you the person that everybody fawned over because you were so attractive as a child? Did you have all the girls lining up for you? I was cute. Like, I was, yeah. No, no, like, I was always, like, the dancey kid, so I sort of wasn't cool, do you know what I mean? I was always doing the dance in the musical theatres and stuff like that, so I think that sort of overrode the cuteness. I There was some awkward teenage years. There was some, like, tie-dyed fringes and, like, rat's tails and <gasps> things. There was, there was, yeah, there was, like, coloured skinny jeans. It was, it was a bad time, you know what I mean? I grew into my looks. And I oh, okay. Into my love. Okay, you, you grew. <laughs> I was so, like a cute, a cute baby, cute kid, like cute little toddler, awkward teen. Okay, James. Ah, yeah. Uh, yeah. We, I think we all had that little phase in high school. Well, the people that are the creative and the hottest now had those phase. You know, you were born in New Zealand. Is that correct? No, so I was born in the UK. Okay. So my mom has a Kiwi, my dad's British, my mom went to New Zealand, met my dad, had two kids, we flew back to New Zealand, and then we grew up here, at the very bottom of the South Island, in a little town called Invercargill. Invercargill. Invercargill, where drag queen is quite the novelty, I can tell you that. Well, down, okay, so let me understand New Zealand correctly. Like, is New Zealand as a whole, like, what is the vibe politically an acceptance of gay people and LGBT? Is it acceptable, not acceptable? Is there different regions that are good and bad? Like, how is it? Definitely. I think um, 
I'd like to think we're quite a progressive nation. We were one of the first countries in the world to have legalized gay marriage. Mm-hmm. We've, you know, we've got Karanga Happy Road here with fabulous drag queens. But it is like any nation in the world. It has its small towns. It's a we've lots of farming communities here, Jeremy. It's a, it's a very rural country. Um, so you head into those small towns. There's not really a place for those queer folk to sort of be and to sort of thing. So it, it is very, very hard. We travel, myself and my drag mother, Trinity Ice, we travel doing shows all around the country. And we are sort of this like moment of queer relief for some people in these towns. Um, so yeah, as much as I'd like to say it is a very progressive nation and we're very lucky to have a beautiful country that we live in, it still has a way to go. Yeah. Do you feel like, growing up in New Zealand helped or hurt you coming out? Was it easy for you to come out? Do you want to know how I came out? Okay. I didn't come out. My mother found a book under my bed. I was in high school and I used to make YouTube videos. Okay. And I'm not going to tell you what my YouTube name was because everyone's just going to go and find these awkward videos of me and my little skinny jeans and my little rat's tail and French. But I would make these YouTube videos. And there was a boy in Auckland who also made YouTube videos and we fell in love. Oh. Whatever love is for like 16 year olds. And um, we would do these YouTube meetups and we would we would fly back and forth and we'd have these gatherings with all these young kids. And we couldn't obviously be together. So we would have these notebooks and we would write little love notes to each other when we couldn't speak to each other. And when we'd meet, we'd exchange books. My mother decided to clean my room. Why any mother would think it's okay to fall through a teenage boy's bedroom? I don't want to know. But she found this book and she came home and she said, what is this? It reads like a gay sex novel. And I said, and I just started crying. And I said, because it is. <laughs> And then my dad came in and went, shall we go get ice cream? And we did. And that was the end of it. So I was incredibly lucky. My mom did say for a period, she's like, it just means you won't give me grandkids. And then, you know, the world has changed. She's grown. She's, you know, I was very, very lucky. Very, very supported by my family. They always let me dance and sing and things. And when I chucked on wigs, they were kind of just like, well, does it pay? It's <laughs> very bloody well, apparently. I love that your dad was like, let's get ice cream. That's like really cool. That's very like a good upbringing. My mom was just like, I'm not talking to you for two years. I mean, same thing, you know, ice cream, two years, yeah. you know, there you go. Yeah. I mean, there was, it, it did become the sort of thing, cause I was young. It did become the sort of thing where like, it was fine, we love you, but it wasn't spoken about for a little while. Like it wasn't like it was, and there was no shame. I was never made, my mom said to me years later, yeah, I was probably a little bit uncomfortable and a bit scared about it for a while. But as a mother, I was never going to let you know that. Mm-hmm. And that was like a beautiful gift for my mom to give me. You know, she was she was never going to let me know that it was a worry or that it was no disapproval. But um, yeah, it wasn't until probably I was like eighteen, nineteen, working on cruise ships through Europe, dating a Brazilian gorgeous boy, and I thought, oh, I should probably tell mom that I've got a boyfriend now. And it was just sort of almost like a re coming out a little bit. Wait, 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 wait. I want to I want to hear about this cruise ship and a Brazilian. Well, she wants the she wants the career. She wants yes. the I, I want I want the pre-drag race. Let's let's talk about that since you brought up a cruise ship. You were dancing since the age of what? Oh, I've danced since I was five. Started with tap, jazz, and ballet, and I just have never stopped. Was getting into dance something that you wanted, or was your family like, oh, let's put you in something? 
no, my next door neighbor was going to do a tap class and he was nervous. And so the mums decided that, oh, maybe they can go together. He would one lesson, he quit. And I was called to the end of the class and my mum was told that I was a natural and I would love to be enrolled and they would love to enroll me in every single class in the school. And so I did. And I never stopped. I just danced. Tap, 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 tap. I loved it. Loved it. And I just started singing all the musical theatre shows. I did pantos in London as a kid. Yes. And then we moved and I continued. I just started, you know, every style I could possibly learn. Anything creative, which is why I fell into drag. Do you know what I mean? It encompasses all of those things, the costumes, the wigs, the makeup, the theatre, the drama, the dance, the singing. It's all there. Um, so, yeah, that was my early childhood in dance. And then when I was 16, 16, 17, I was living in Invercargill. Went to Southland Boys High School, very good rugby school, fabulous mm. rugby team. And I decided that I needed to go to Sydney and live my fabulous, true gay dancing life. <laughs> and I did. From Sydney, I moved to Turkey, where I worked in a fabulous, like, five-star resort. And Christian Ronaldo was there on a boat in the freaking harbour. And I was hanging out with people from Shortland Street in this gorgeous resort. And then I went to London and danced in the uh, closing ceremony of the Olympic Games. And then I went on cruise ships and toured around Europe and South America. And then I came back to England, danced in music videos with all these fabulous people and Jesse J and freaking Red Hot Chili Peppers, all these crazy things that I did. And then I got into a show called Wicked. Favorite show since I was a kid. I love this show, Wicked. Got into it, 21 years old. I've achieved all of my dreams. What next? And I literally was like, I sort of had this weird moment of like, is this it? I would, I'd done it all. And it, and the, the sheen of this sort of like fabulous life that I'd wanted had sort of disappeared. And once I'd sort of looked behind the curtain, as RuPaul says, and I just sort of, I called mom and I said, I want to come home. Did, did you just describe the career of like an 80 year old woman? Like you were like, dance, tap. And then you were like, Show, another show, no sleep, club, next bus. Yeah, I, this, this stuff, <laughs> my CV is ridiculous and it's all before I was 21 years old. I, I, 16, I left and I just didn't look back. But it was, um, it was this weird thing. I was like 21 years old. I had no close friends. You know I, mean? I didn't go to a school ball. Like I'd, I'd missed out on all this part of life that I didn't care about before. But suddenly as I was becoming an adult, I missed, do you know what I mean? And so I sort of had to come and put down roots somewhere. And now Auckland is home. So cruise ships and a Brazilian man that you were dating. Um, there was a Brazilian man. There was Italian man. There was a, there was French man, German. There's German men. Um, yeah, there was there was a lot of men. There was a lot of ports. A lot of ports are called on a cruise ship. Uh, oh. Wait, so if you're on a cruise ship, how long did a cruise ship duration normally last? And what was like your main responsibility? Like, could you perform and then you had like a day or two to get drunk and be the crazy, you know, like enjoy yourself or no? Sort of. We were very lucky. So I was a dancer. My role was to dance in these production shows. There was three, well, two and a half production shows per cruise, week-long cruises, seven-month contract. I did two contracts back to back. Um, because I had so much fun. Um, so yeah, my job was to perform in the shows 
And you weren't meant to like socialize and get drunk with the guests, but you could get off at every port of call and enjoy like the amazing places we were stopping. So I got to sort of travel the world for free and get paid for it. Um, so yeah, I just I just did that for two like for a year and a bit. Really, it was quite fabulous. Yeah. Did you see any like cool countries or cities or anything that you hadn't seen before? My favorite place uh south america and like brazil gorgeous beautiful like like wow like would love to go back there i want to take my partner back there like fabulous the most fun we had for a long period of time wednesday nights in ibiza every wednesday david guetta was playing every wednesday in pasha club it was just this ridiculous every wednesday i would go out and get absolutely maggoted in ibiza and i was 20 it was crazy. Do you know what I mean? It was unheard of. Yeah, lots of hangovers. Well, let's speak of the hangover of drag. When did you first, for the first time, perform to more than somebody in your house? Like, when was, like, your <laughs> first gig? When was the gig? When did that start? Drag has sort of been through my theater career, my dance career, like, in sort of waves. But Electra. Electra existed. Um, I was go-go dancing in Auckland. I was a go-go boy on the clubs here, and I would sometimes dance in heels, like heels and underwear in a shower, and like do all that biz. Um, there was this fabulously beautiful but absolutely terrifying drag queen called Trinity Ice. She spotted me and goes, would you ever consider doing drag? And I said, does it pay? And she said, well, we can talk about that after I see you perform. And I said, fair enough. So it was Family Bar, which is sort of was our local gay bar at the time, um, has like a birthday party where they do heaps and heaps of drag shows. and There's heaps of opportunity for new performers. And so she put me on and I did this little number. It was cute. It was fabulous. Um, and I was meant to perform for free. But the owner of the bar came up to me and handed me $250 and said, no one does a show like that in my club for free. Stop it. And yeah. And it was like in front of all the other girls and no one's ever liked me since. Um, so that was, that was the sort of start. <laughs> because I had the dancing. It was, it was all, it was really, you were watching this like six foot two gender bent thing, kick and turn and jump into the splits off the bar. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I'm very lucky to have the background and training that I do to add to my drag. Yeah. And I, I can't imagine if you, somebody gave you $150 out the front and that is your first, you know, gig that you had that was supposed to be unpaid. I'm sure your heart was like, oh my gosh, did I just fall into like what I was meant to? I was hooked. Hundred percent. I'm going to keep doing this. And yeah, I just, I just would go and go and go. I sort of stepped away from it a little bit. I went back into sort of dance teaching and opened a dance studio for a little while, and then that didn't go too well. And I sort of lost the business and fell into a lot of debt. And drag was actually the thing that then picked me up and saved me again. There was always that sort of drag family there to um, to lift me up and support me. So it's 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 my safe place, really. I I love it. And I love too that like, you know, when you were on Drag Race, which we're going to get into, I didn't know that you also were on another show. You were on House of Drag. You were on season two of that. I would love to know before you started getting on television shows, when you were performing in drag, how many gigs would you normally do like a week or a month? Like, were you back-to-back -back nights? Like, was drag your main source of revenue or how was that? 
No, drag doesn't work like that here. We're very sort of, we're big town, small town. So there's not enough work to go around. I would be, I was lucky. I got into like, you know, the in crowd and I was probably doing two shows a month. It varied a lot. Um, you sort of have two clubs at a time. We're, we're notorious in Auckland for clubs opening and shutting down and opening and shutting down. But there's always there's always about two floating about and we sort of just share the gigs amongst everyone. But um, it's never been ridiculously well paid um, until Drag Race came along. And drag was a secret for a very long time. It's only, it's not, we got to remember that it's not that long ago that drag wasn't cool. We were frowned upon. We were called faggots in the street. They would bottle us. They would like, it was, it, it's only like new world, cool drag, learn it off YouTube, have a fabulous time. And it's popular career now. It was probably, because I did, I started doing TV when I came to New Zealand. So I was on Dancing with the Stars and I was sort of doing like partner work and things like that and choreographing with people like that here. So I sort of knew the TV crowd. And then when House of Drag came along, I was like, I could do that. Season one had come out and I'd sort of, my Trinity, my drag mother was on it. And season two was coming around. And I was like, oh, I could do that. I was like, some of these girls. So I could do that. Um, and I did. And it was quite fab. Have you seen House of Drag? Are you able to watch House of Drag over there? No, I haven't. Even when I was talking to Latrice Manila and we had you on for the chop, I couldn't find it at all. I was like, I don't yeah. know where it's, to um, watch. You'd probably have to get a VPN and find it on TV and Z on demand. But it's... um. It's like a really, it's like a raw, rough, low budget pilot of a drag race big brother. It's sort of this, it's, it, it's cool. It's, 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 a, it's a nice sort of alternative. It's very rough and ready, like very rough and ready. But I think sometimes that's a great thing for drag. Sometimes I think if it's too polished and too produced, it can, you miss the personalities. Um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. And sort of really kicked off my drag career again. I sort of really got back into drag full time after that. And that show was with two of your fellow sisters, right? Was that with both Anita and Kita? Or was that... that Kita and Anita. Yeah, Kita and Anita were the hosts. So it was Kita and Anita's House of Drag. So when we all went into Drag Race, it was the whole, like, the two hosts and the competitor. Not even the winner. I got second. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it was like this weird sort of pressure that I was sort of... Put it, when Drag Race came to Down Under, everyone knew they were going to be on it. It was without question. They're phenomenal. They're a powerhouse. They've got this great brand. They were doing all the corporate gigs. They own Kaluzzi Cabaret in town. Like, And the rumor was three queens. There was going to be three queens from New Zealand. Well, it's Kida and Anita. Who's going to be the other one? Who is this other one? Everyone wanted it. I sort of knew I might get it. Only because of the performance element. It certainly wasn't because of my outfits. Though I did have a lot of outfits, but they weren't necessarily good. Um, I sort of had this gut feeling that I could do well. Not necessarily in the challenges or the looks. I just knew that I could do well on TV. I've always had a passion for television and I had a passion for making good television. And that was my main focus when I went into the show because I knew that for damn sure I would be the one to make everyone in the room talk. Yeah, and you did make everybody in the room talk. And the room also looked like it was five feet long. That was the smallest workroom I think <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> I was like, well, wait. This show in Down Under was, um, it was, it's a real 
uh, fluke that it happened. It very nearly didn't happen. They've been talking about it for years and years and years. I know Art Simone's been pushing for it for years and years and years. And it was like this off chance that Rue was apparently free for like a month in this period of time and people had the right amount of money at the right sort of time. It was done on like a shoestring budget. It was organized within like two months. It was it was so, so quick. The set was built like in a week. It was all very like, it was sort of, there were things being finished as we were filming. Do you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. it was, and I do have to sort of take my hat off to the producers for getting out what they got out. It had its problems and we're all aware of them. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get to it. But, um, but like to actually make it happen, because I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for it. Do you know what I mean? Like the fact that it actually got to happen was such a fluke. Um, so yeah, props props to those people. Props to Paul for you know wanting to come down under as well, especially at the time. We were we were still in the middle of a pandemic at that time, and um, you know the fact that they came was a huge, huge was a huge draw card for also the queens as well to sort of be involved. That RuPaul was coming. We've had franchises where RuPaul's not been there. So to have RuPaul and Michelle yeah. come down was such a huge deal. Was it originally supposed to be in Australia and then it got moved to New Zealand because of COVID? No one knows the true story. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been told, like, because like it, it's a small country. I've talked to all the producers. And we've heard all the back and forth rumors. But apparently it might have happened in Australia. They let the sort of, like, license lapse or Australia didn't have all the money to do it. TVNZ New Zealand picked it up and paid for a bunch of it. I, I, it was sort of like a, it was honestly just a split. There was lots of rumors about like it was moved to New Zealand because of COVID and all that sort of business. That's not true at all. It definitely not true. I know it was maybe meant to happen in Australia and they just didn't do it. They didn't pick it up. The contract, I think the least sort of the license lapsed. And I think New Zealand just snapped it up and made it down under. As much as we could have our own drag race, there's a lot of drag queens here. Like, we might not have came. We're a country of four or five million. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's we're not a huge nation. So it, and to be pocketed in with Australia gives us, one, it gives us more competition. It makes it like an interesting thing. And we have this sort of love-hate rivalry here. Australia and New Zealand, we're like sort of, you know, angry cousins, you know? So yeah, I love it. Well, where were you when you were told you were going to be on the show? Now, I have heard from multiple people that most of the cast was pre-handpick selected and did an audition. Did you audition? We had to, we didn't make an audition tape. So it wasn't like um, now and it wasn't like the season two girls. I've seen what the season two girls have had to go through and do in preparation for this. We were sort of shoulder tap and said, would we be interested? Something might be happening um, and then we had to sort of do, I call it like a screening process. We sort of had to have lots of Zoom interviews. We had to show lots of looks. We basically had to show around our, sort of what they have to show in the video. It was all just done over Zoom. It was all sort of like, and 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 cause it, like I said, because it was happening so fast, my understanding is they sort of approached people who had the wardrobe, first of all. They approached people who they knew could get together. 12 runway looks plus some because it is a huge expense it's a huge undertaking and as much as it's a competition and it's all that sort of business it's also a gig it's a show you're sort of you're cast on this reality tv show and that comes you have to have a certain skills to do that and on the time crunch i think they're just like boom arts and mind boom we need those names and those names and we need you 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 kid and need obviously and who could potentially get together 12 looks 
a lecturer. And I think that might have been a huge part of me um, being involved. When it comes down to looks, you said that you were not confident in all the looks that you brought. You said that earlier. What was the effort, the energy, and the concept behind the looks that you had? How did you end up sourcing them? You were in the middle of a pandemic. I'm sure that it was a lot more difficult to have, like, get certain outfits and costumes. Like, how did that come to be? I swear, Joseph, the things that I could change if I could go back in time. (laughs) Like, I worked so hard to put together my package for Drag Race. And when I think back to how hard I worked and how hard and how easily I put together looks now, I'm like, you were, you were some kind of stupid. <laughs> um, I was extremely poor at the time. I was very, um, I was very, you know, I was working and I was trying to hustle and trying to get ready for Drag Race. Cause like, you don't say no, do you know what I mean? Like, when you want to be on RuPaul's Drag Race? You don't say no, like you'd be stupid to say no. You, I tried to make loads of stuff. I can sew and I can make stuff. And I was trying to do way too much. Like I just did way too much. There was too, um, and, and a lot of my drag was so thrifty at the time. You've got to remember that my drag at the time heavily relied on my performance. People loved watching me perform. I wasn't a look queen. I had some cool wigs, like I had some cool stuff, but I was wearing like leotards with thigh high boots and like a big fur coat and like a wig, you know, it was sort of, it was performance. I'd strip it off, kick, jump off the bar. And that was like, whoa, now I like to think my drag is very much, I can walk into the room and people go, wow, you know? Um, So it was sort of, it was trying to, in a very amateur way, figure out what drag race was. And at the time, I think I thought that that was more and she put more on and you can put glittery earrings on you got to put glittery necklace on you put glittery dress on glittery gloves glittery nails glittery shoes glittery hair glittery eyelashes glittery thing and then suddenly i'm wondering why pool's going like it's basic and i'm like i don't understand what you're saying michelle (laughs) what do you mean it's basic i'm wearing fucking everything but it was it was it was basic styling suddenly what i realized through the show is that less is more she says that she's wearing like every fucking piece of jewelry she owns but like less and more refined, do you know what I mean? I had to, I said to put pair back. Ruth said to me in, in one of the episodes, like, have you ever just worn like an asymmetrical off the shoulder dress? And straight away I had an excuse. I was like, oh, because most of my stuff comes from op shops. I'm trying to piece together this. And he's like, just cut up a tube of fabric. And I went, oh yeah, I could do that. And suddenly I figured out, I look real good in tubes of fabric. I look fantastic in sparkly tubes of fabric. That's what I do now. Just tubes of tubes fabric. fabric. Tubes of fabric. Tubes of fabric and a smile. Which outfit that you wore would you have rather exchanged for a tube of fabric um my ocean look the sea sickening look and the sea sickening look it ain't good it's not good it's still in my closet because i'm like i i worked so hard on it it was like it was all these beautiful ruffles and i rhinestoned the whole thing and then on camera it just looks like this washed out sort of soapy blue thing and the wig was dumpy and it maybe there's opportunity to restyle it for something i don't know that look for me, I just feel, I look rough. I look rough. All the other ones, also rough, but I'm sort of like, yeah, they're all right. I loved my Bogan Prom look. Yes, I loved that one. What was in your flask? Uh, it was bourbon. Real bourbon? No, it was empty. It was an empty can of bourbon. Oh. But um, it's drag race. Then you drink. We had, to, we had to fight to get cocktails for Untucked, we did. But... And I love my swing look. My swing oh, look the swing like, look was so 
yeah. thought out and cute. Like I loved that. That was it was my moment. most like pretty look, and it was the prettiest I probably was gonna look on the show. Like it's a good thing I got into the finale. Like I didn't get into the finale because what I had planned was was not as good as the swing look. <laughs> Okay, so you're you're on the show. You you experience everything. You're going through the motions. You end up being Catherine O'Hara for Snatch Game, and the Catherine O'Hara that I saw on Snatch Game, I don't know who that was, but I loved it. I loved every bit of it. I was like, at least like you made it a show. You didn't get stuck in your like your head. A lot of people when they're trying to imitate somebody on Snatch Game, their biggest flaw is that. They get way too in their head and they just give the one-liners and they're done. You had a full story developed. Was she your original choice? No. She was my third choice. So I was going to do Danny LaRue, who was this like very old drag queen from the 70s in England, like beautiful, big hats and sort of doing this whole darling thing. And then I was going to maybe do like um, Suzanne Paul, who was this sort of like infomercial TV host, like, but wait, there's more. But I didn't really prepare a look for that. It was sort of like that I had the personality. And then Catherine O'Hara was literally like the back of the trunk, like last thought. Me and my boyfriend love Shit's Creek. And like we would always be like, oh, hello, RuPaul. I'd sort of do, we'd do this stupid imitation voice. And I was, at the time, I think I was like, I was getting bad critiques on the runway and I was overthinking the whole thing. And I thought, I'm just going to do something that is super, super fun. RuPaul kept saying, have fun, just have fun. Don't overthink it. And so I thought, everyone's so nervous. I could just go in there, think of my boyfriend and just do a stupid voice, look like a fucking idiot. I wasn't afraid to look stupid. Do you know what I mean? I think a lot of us on that show and a lot of the queens on that show were so concerned about how they looked and how they were coming across and what they said at what time and things like that. I was like, I'm fine. I could just talk. I could be myself. Like it's it's not, no one's going to hate me for saying, hello, my name is Electra and this is me trying to do Catherine O'Hara. Like Catherine O'Hara maybe might have something to say about it, but that's about it. Um, so I just had fun. Do you know what I mean? it, it allowed me to do whatever I wanted as long as I was going, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And they go, Michelle Vasage, pigeons. You know, it, it was not, it, it certainly wasn't an accurate representation, but it did allow me to just banter. I think I was one of the only queens in the critiques that Michelle sort of said, you volleyed with us. You know, you went back and forth. You made RuPaul laugh. Like, isn't that the whole point of the whole bloody show is just to make RuPaul laugh? Yeah, and you did make RuPaul laugh at the end of the day. It's kind of like, you know, the Willow Pill thing in the recent season 14 where only time comes on and everybody's like, what the fuck is going on? But you're laughing because it's oh, so good. Oh, I loved it. I loved that from the start. Uh, she's she's so clever. So, so clever. It's that sort of humor in the pause that I love about comedy, sort of saying nothing and just leaving space for people to go, Oh, no, she's not going to. That sort of comedy is so good to me. Yeah. So getting into your talent show performance, I actually believe that your floor performance, as I will call it, was actually really good. Was the outfit and the wig good? Maybe not the best. But do you think that your talent that you put on deserved you being in the bottom based off the other talents? It depends how you want to judge it. Because... Is it a talent show? Yes, but it's also a drag talent show. And the drag was not drag. I, I watched that, and that is a boy dancing. That is James dancing in a wig, which 
at the time for me and the shit that I'd gone through on the show and the emotional journey I'd gone through the show felt amazing. It was beautiful. I felt like I'd done something. I'd moved like I hadn't moved in a while. Like it was, it was a very emotional thing for me. But in terms of drag, it was too emotional. RuPaul said, and I don't think it made the cut. RuPaul said to me, he's like, I just don't like poetry. And it's not that he obviously doesn't like poetry, but it's like sometimes there needs to be a little uh, a breath and a break. I would do that piece exactly the same, but when I walked to the back, I would just go. <laughs> and then I would walk off. And I think Rue would have loved it. Do you know what I mean? He would have pissed himself laughing and gone, what the fuck was that? And it would have been great. And, and, but you can only do that in hindsight. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't my best dance performance. It clearly it wasn't the best wig performance. But um, but I wouldn't change it for the world. I wouldn't change anything. I 100% would not change anything because... Look where you're at now. This wouldn't happen if yeah. I didn't do Drag Race. Like, Drag Race was the pressure cooker I needed to sort my shit out and figure out who Electra was. Did the world and Australia and New Zealand see Electra? for who she really is. I think so. Yeah, and I think that did come down to me sort of allowing them to, and I was very, I wasn't afraid to speak up, and I wasn't afraid to sort of show them who I was. I I definitely didn't go in there with a plan of who I sort of wanted to present myself as. People were sort of like, oh, what if, what if you get this challenge? What if you get that challenge? How, what, you know, you should be drafting what you're going to do. I was like, I'll deal with that there. I knew that I could handle the challenges, and if, I think if I look back at all the challenges, I did well with the acting stuff. I made me laugh. Like it, there was never any challenges that I necessarily sucked at, but the runways definitely needed work. Yeah. Yeah. So you get off the show. The show comes out not too long after you guys recorded it, right? No, I think it was January, February. March, April, March, April, we March, April, May, maybe April, May. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what was your initial reception from the fandom? Everyone really liked me. I think I was quite surprised because, like I said, I went in there with the idea to make television. So as like I said, lovely things about people. I said some shady things about people. I said, you know, you don't know how the edit, for want of a better word, is going to come out. Am I going to have lots of airtime? Am I going to have no airtime? I was lucky that I connected with so many queens and was a part of so many queen storylines in some way that allowed me to in turn sort of show myself as this sort of narrator and this sort of storyteller and, and sort of, I know what it's like to sort of be on both sides of like the producing and the sort of the performer and watching producers struggle to get something out of a queen. I found it so frustrating because I was like, this isn't going to look good on TV. You're just going to look like a stroppy, grumpy bitch and you're not going to answer the fucking producer's question. They just want to know about like your fucking cousin's fucking cyst on her ass. Just tell them about it. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I don't want to talk about that. And I'd be the queen sitting next to them that would go, oh, so, and I would just sort of start another conversation and drifted into it and suddenly they're talking about the thing they didn't want to talk about and they're talking about it on camera and it's all comfortable and lovely. I tried to be that person for production as well and and. Because my theory is, I was like, this is Drag Race. It's reality TV. Yeah. Make them all like, bring me back. Put me on all stars. Waka waka. You know, I, I wanted to sort of be liked. <laughs> and it worked, obviously. The fans were not as nice to Drag Race Down Under. They still are not as nice to Drag Race Down Under. 
Do you think Drag Race Down Under deserves the flack that it gets? Do you think that there was unfair things? First of all, I, I do have a question for you. The yeah. second episode, Art Simone was eliminated. Uh-huh. Yeah, bye. Was that a surprise? Because I honestly was very confused and I felt like it was all on purpose, which it probably was, but that was very odd to me. Yeah, it was. And we, we, everyone was just sort of like, oh shit, Art Simone's gone. Art Simone's? Art Simone's gone. It's anyone's game now. Like it was, it was a big shock to everyone, but only because she was Art Simone. And I like I hadn't met Art before. I didn't particularly get along with Art on the show. Like she was very sort of, I'm the queen of Australian drag here to win the crown. It's sort of like, I'm here to represent, I'm this champion of drag, um, which I love, like good on her. Um, but I was sort of like, this, this is, everyone, it's day one, everyone's fair game. Do you know what I mean? And um, yeah, everyone was surprised. And then everyone wasn't surprised when she came back. Everyone was just like, I think they wanted, like, she jumped out of this skip and everyone was like, ah, because something came out of the skip. Not that it was Art Simone. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It was like, everyone was just like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I think we were asked in, like, interviews after, you know, in, like, the sort of, you know, the talking heads bit. And they sort of go, oh, so what do you feel about Art Simone? And I think I said, I mean, it makes sense. It's a reality TV show. No one was surprised. She's Art Simone. How many followers does she have? I don't know how producers work, but I'm sure it was something to do with that. Yeah. <laughs> so back to what I was saying, I was saying, um, do you feel the fandom is correct or incorrect in their negative feedback and negative feelings of Down Under? Yeah. Do you know what? Because I think feelings are valid. You feel what you feel. Um, I mean, obviously, remember that there are people behind all of this. There are people that made this show. There are editors who worked hard. There are queens who worked hard. They had problems. They had editing problems. They had storyline problems. There was questions left unanswered and things like that. Watching it back, you can you can see it even as a as a competitor who was on the show. I think there were issues that probably needed more airtime or the conversations that were had needed to be aired that weren't. And I think that the producers know that because I've told it to them to their face. And hopefully season two will be a big improvement on that. Hopefully season two, it's not such a rush. They're not so sort of rushed off their feet. You've got to remember as well, these producers here who are people who have like, that love Drag Race as well. They they want it to be this, you know, everyone's trying to make this amazing show. It's sort of everyone's like, you've got to, it's like a pilot. Do you know what I mean? Like there's going to be mistakes and there's going to be slip ups. I don't condone the hate, you know, don't hate on people, you know, but they definitely, yeah, they fucked up. 100% they fucked up. Make it better next time. I want to know, and then we're getting off of Drag Race for a bit. I would love to know when there was a moment when somebody named Scarlett, who is now an OnlyFans porn star, she... Let's not bag the OnlyFans. Oh, there's no bagging of that. I am saying I have watched, I no, no bagging. There were racist things that people had brought up. How did that even come about being on? She did blackface is what she did. Yes, she did correct. Some blackface. She did some blackface. But how did you guys figure out about that? Was that like a random thing in the middle of the day that production was like, oh my gosh, we just found this and then it was talked about? I knew about it before we came onto the show. I had seen the photos on Reddit. I wasn't sure if it was going to be a thing to sort of 
walk into the workroom and go, oh, hello, Scarlett, I saw you've done blackface. You know, I, well, I very much knew nothing about her. I knew nothing about what had happened before or afterwards, the context of it and things like that. I'd literally seen a photo on Reddit and this person might be there and sort of like, oh. I didn't particularly get along with Scarlett for the first few episodes when it sort of happened. And, think, and I was sort of like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. In my head, like I was like, oh, this is, makes a lot of sense that I don't get along with this person. And we were asked in our Talking Heads interview things, is there anyone in the workroom who you think has done something they're ashamed of? And I went, do I want to be the person to bring this conversation into the show? And I went, absolutely. I do, because it's a conversation that needs to be had. And I'd sort of gathered from the mood and temperament and the way the girls were sort of doing the show was that they they weren't going to bring it up. And it was sort of like, I'm being asked by the producer, obviously they know, like, like I just sort of did it and I went, pretty sure this photos of Scarlett on the internet doing blackface. Um, I was told that I wasn't the one that brought it into the world of Drag Race. I don't know whether that's true or not, but I was, yeah, I was assured by the producers that it all sort of kicked off that like, you weren't the one to say, just so you know. And I do know that Scarlett was spoken to about it and like how they were going to sort of, how it was going to, I don't know if she was told, you know, RuPaul's going to hit you up on the runway or that sort of thing. But I think, I do think they went to Scarlett and said, hi, this conversation is going to happen and we just want to check your mental health and that sort of thing around it, which I think is very smart because it is a, a very big conversation to have. Um, but a conversation that I think is important. Like, and I think there was so much said, and there were so many like backs and forths and things like that. And so much of it didn't make the final edit, which I think is a shame because she probably should have been held more accountable in the eyes of the view. And I think she, uh, the, the way you watch Drag Race Down Under now, it sort of seems to condone the behavior, it sort of seems like RuPaul sort of says, yes, all right, well, I've seen it and that's the thing and I'm the person of color in the room, so let's carry on. And although RuPaul is the person of color in the room and was the person of color in the room, there are hundreds of thousands of people of color outside of this room watching this show who had to deal with reliving that experience and viewing those images and sort of having to deal with that trauma. And I will always stand with those people. That's always been my, my thing. Do you know what I mean? I, I I, like I said, I didn't know Scarlett, didn't know the journey she'd been on, hasn't done the work she's done since, the work she's doing now. Like I don't, hadn't followed that. But at the time, my position was to stand with those people. And that's what I did. She also was just a bit of a bitch to me on the show. So I didn't like her. And I'm glad that it was brought up. Do I think, like you said, that it could have been shown, like if there was all this extra added stuff. At the end of the day, I would have loved to have seen like an unedited version on like YouTube or an untucked after or something to I have mean, a did, conversation did and dialogue. Lack of untucked? There was just no untucked that episode. Me and Keita wanted to talk about it and no one else did. We wanted to talk about it. Why not? Let's talk about it. And I, I think that has a lot to do with... Um, there was also no people of color in the room at the time as well. It was, um, they were all, everyone was very sort of awkward thing. I was like, I didn't really care if there were people of color in the room because the white people are, need, are the ones that need to sort their shit out and have these hard conversations with each other and hold each other accountable. Me and Keita were very keen to talk. A lot of queens weren't keen to talk. I think they were all worried they were going to be sort of painted with the same brush, whether they were worried about things that they'd done, they were already going to come. I don't, I don't know. Um, in New Zealand and just in our family and my drag family, we have a such a huge passion for uplifting 
those that need it for standing with the little guy and just doing the right fucking thing. Do you know what I mean? Like do the right thing. It's not hard to see that someone's hurting and to say, yo, cut that shit out. It's not hard. It might be a little bit scary or you might be scared. Like just like, so what, you're just going to let them get hit? Absolutely not. Stand with them and half the punch. Do you know what I mean? Like, and then sure, you both walk away with a bruise, but like you're together. I don't know. I just think, I just think more could have been done at the time. I know lots had happened afterwards. I know Scarlett's done work and I hope she continues to do that work and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to say because I would just, I will always be on the side of the person who is hurt by it. And there are still people hurt by it. There are a lot of people hurt by it. And I think that that episode was one of the like lowest rated on IMDb or whatever. Like, you know how the fans all, all go through that. The other lowest rated episode was the episode where I got eliminated. And we know the reason why, because you were eliminated. I was so proud of that. I was really proud of that. <laughs> I was so proud. I was like, I was like, they like me. They really <laughs> fucking like me. You get off the show. Did you guys get to perform at all because of COVID? Did you guys get to do any shows, get to do anything to celebrate, to end up, you know, making some money afterwards? Well, it's been rough, I can tell you. So um, we have actually just, again, gone into not a lockdown. We were in and out of lockdowns for most of the year after Drag Race. We got to do like little things, but we haven't got to travel overseas and tour and see all the people who watch the show and... um. We've had some cool corporate gigs. I've done some fabulous online stuff and made some fabulous money from that. But we're still struggling. Like it's, um, we've just gone into lockdown. I've just lost all my gigs for the foreseeable future. I had a big show for Pride Month in Auckland where I was going to come down from the ceiling with ten backup dancers and fire and water, and it was going to be like the biggest. Like, it was going to be, like, I don't want to talk ill of any other drag queen, but no drag queen. I swear to God. It was going to be like the work the world level production, but just like me. Like I've, I love producing shows, love it, love it, love it. And it was going to be this absolutely phenomenal spectacular. It's now going to be postponed for the time being. There are no gigs. I'm about to start doing some cameos, which I haven't done before, but I thought, well, maybe now oh, the time to yes. jump on cameo. I'm going to sell like a plushie. It's going to be a plushie of Electra coming out and things like that. So it's just, it's just a hustle. And and if I got to get a little day job to get it through this, to ride this pandemic out, I get a little day job. I, I, we've hustled before and we will continue to hustle. There'll always be wigs in the closet to chuck on for a night out. I love that. I love that mentality and that mindset because like you said, like, yeah, like you may have to do another, you know, get another little job or whatever to do the money, but like put your heart and effort into your drag like you love and do what you need to do to be able to make it happen. Like this pandemic has fucked a lot of us up and mentally and with work and with so many different aspects of our life. It's like really just take time for you to keep growing you. Yeah. And it's incredibly hard and it's incredibly frustrating. And I have my ups and my downs, but at the end of the day, I'm alive. I'm happy. I'm healthy. My family, my partner, my friends are alive and happy and healthy. And that's the most important thing at the end of the day. Do you know what I mean? There are lots of people who have, suffered and who have gone through horrible things and who have lost so much through this pandemic. So I, I am blessed and I will continue to remember that even on the hard days. Well, as with always, always on Exposed, I always ask the fans if they have any questions that they want to send in. You had quite a bit. 
And when I say quite a bit, there are some U.S. queens who are very popular who've gotten a lot less than you. You literally had over 300 questions. So... What? Yes, right? <laughs> 300 people? Yeah. Where are these bitches when I put photos up? I do like my photos. I'm like some of my photos that say questions to Joseph. Oh, my God. So let's get into some of these. Dylan is a muffin wants to know what was it like seeing the season's reception tank as hard as it did? It was sort of balanced because like we sort of knew what had gone down on the show. So we thought and we always knew it was going to be a bit awkward, but we were so celebrated here. Like we, we were at home in New Zealand. We were like these hometown heroes. All we got was love and praise. And like every episode was, you did so well. And it was so great. And you look so fabulous. Like, the wave of joy around the queens, because the queens weren't the problem. Some of the queens weren't the problem. But, like, we got so much love for being ourselves. I got so much love for being myself that it definitely overrode. I don't even know that's English. It overrode the, um, the negativity that came towards the, the brand and the show itself. Yeah. I agree with that. You got you got a lot of positive out of it. At the end of the day, the show could be the shittiest show in the world, but at the... If you do well and if you succeed and people like you, then who cares what it was, you know? And people are always going to critique RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah, always. Um, the next question is from Chris Joseph. He wants to know, did competing with Kita and Anita feel more or less stressful? Were you more comfortable competing alongside like a drag family connection? Or did you want to stand away and be independent on your own? I really liked it. Because I didn't much, I didn't know many of the Australian queens. So, and really, as much as like they were the hosts when I was the competitor on the other show, we were we we're a family. We all worked at Caluzzi at the time. Like it was, it's it's a, we were very much a sisterhood. I wasn't worried about having to stand out away from them or be separate from them. What I think they were worried about is they were always Kita and Anita. They walked into that show as Kita and Anita, and that was I think. There was a lot more distance between Keita and Anita than there was between me and them. Like, opposite sides of the room. Like, it was like day and night. It was so strange. I got so close with Keita during the show. Like, we were obviously always friends, but, like, we really made a connection and a bond as just being like, oh, well, let's be there for each other with the Kiwi girls. Anita was gone. Anita was like, over by Art Simone. Didn't want to sit with us. Don't want to talk with us. You know, I get it. She was probably trying to make her own brand and push out and sort of, you know, find her own voice, which I think she has done fabulously now. And she's doing so, so well. And everyone loves that goofball. Um, but yeah, I was, I was chuffed to have sisters there that I was close with. Well, speaking of your um, fellow sister, Kita, the next question is from Joshu Johnso. They said, The Untouched Lip Sync. She's a fantastic performer, and watching it always leaves me wondering if she was giving herself up so Kita could stay. I get asked this question so much. And the answer is no. What I think was the problem was I did too much. I think I did too much, maybe. I don't, look, I don't know, Joseph. We saw me do the lip syncs. We saw me do the other lip sync. And then we saw me did that lip sync. I can tell you one thing. I certainly didn't miss the first line of the song. (laughs) 
So what you're saying is that you cannot confirm nor deny if you went a little easy. No, I didn't. I definitely didn't go easy. I definitely tried to win. Maybe they had just seen me three times. Mm-hmm. Is all I can sort of think of. You know, it was that sort of curse of the three. I also had like, I don't know, like I'm, and I'm not sure how much the lip sync decides the final choice or what. But mm-hmm. like, I had shown probably all I could show. I would have loved to be in the finale, and I would have done a great song, and I would have done a great, you know, little dance for that last piece. But I had shown pretty much everything I had to show. I think my story, like if I this whatever story it was that I was telling, like you got to see me talk about my emotions and overcome my fears and find myself as a queen and then dance my heart out and then thank you so much, good night. Do you know what I mean? It felt it didn't feel wrong, and um, it felt like my time to sort of leave. But I certainly did not go easy on her on that lip sync. And she knows that. Next one we have for you is from Dodal Brozel. I have a question. What kind of accident did you have that ruined your modeling career? <laughs> um, the, the, like, <laughs> drag. <laughs> drag was the accident. <laughs> like, was always sort of the, the joke. I, I honestly don't, like, my entrance line, it's something I say all the time, and it was something I used to say when I would take selfies with people. People would come to me and they would take selfies and they would go, they would be like, oh my God, you're so beautiful. I go, thank you. I was a model before the accident. And they would go, what? And then I would just walk away. It was my little punchline. It was my little gimmick line. And I think I didn't know what else to say for an entrance line. And I tried not to overthink it. Yeah, drag. Drag was the accident. And now she's just came full ahead. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We have two more fan questions. The next one is from Orlando. Electra. Do you need a back rub after carrying the entire season all by yourself in all of the episodes you were in? Yes, I do. I need a back rub. I need one of those like massage <laughs> guns. If anyone wants to get me one of those like custom chairs that does like the calves and stuff as well, that's yes. really good. The I'd squeezers. Love, like, a little, like Manny Petty. Absolutely. I want to like be in Crocs for a week. Yes, I do. And thank you so much. <laughs> so, Orlando, since you suggested that, you should DM Electra and give her a gift card to whatever spa she would like to go to. Absolutely. Thank you so much. <laughs> Next question, and the last one we have is from Agus Bygoria. If I pronounced your name wrong, I apologize. Electra, if you are invited, would you ever do an international all stars like the UK versus the world that is about to happen? Yes, absolutely. I had like drag race was extremely hard, extremely hard, bit traumatic, but I absolutely loved it. Like, I cannot wait to see what... I can kick their ass now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Look at me. I look cool. I can yes. kick their ass now. You know, like, I, I, ha- I had everything it took. I just didn't know how to use it. Do you know what I mean? And now I think I know how to use it. I would love to go back and compete on an All-Stars, International All-Stars, whatever it is. And I have told them. I've told them on the Instagram. I've told Theron on the phone. I've told the people... And I'm just, I'm waiting and I'm keen and I'll do whatever you need me to do. I have a UK passport. Oh, yes. You can just pop pop right in. But if it's shot in the UK and it's put on the BBC, then there most likely is not money. So my question to you is, would you do it if there wasn't prize money? Yes. Why, like, why wouldn't you? 
like as much as it's like and as much as i'm a very big advocate for like paying queens their worth and doing all that business things like that i know what i could do with the publicity that i would get from that correct like I know exactly what I would do. I know exactly what I could do. And 100% I would, yes. It's exactly why queens do it now. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, it's getting put on that huge, huge platform. What well, I've just had a taste. I've had a taste of it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, we are the little, we're the little Down Under series, you know? We got nothing what those American girls, what those UK girls have got. So, like, I want that many followers. <laughs> Oh, that many people looking at me. I don't do this not to be looked at. And I want to be looked at by as many people as I possibly can. Well, I really do hope that you end up getting on an international all-stars. I hope that you be like a jujube or something. Just keep coming on my screen all the time, you know? Like, whatever show, just keep it going. I love to come on screens. Oh, yes. Ooh, don't we all? <laughs> um, <laughs> As we wrap this out, I have my last few questions for you. Um, The ones I always ask, what is the biggest misconception of Electra? Oh, that's a really hard question. The biggest misconception about me? Well, I still struggle to know how I'm perceived fully. I think people probably think that like, okay, you haven't seen House of Drag. Everyone who watched House of Drag thought I was a bitch. Everyone who watched RuPaul's Drag Race thought that I was like this lovely, wonderful person. And I am 100% a combination of the two. Like when I went for Scarlet about my dancing and things like that, there's all of that. I am just as much as a diva and a queen as RuPaul needs me to be when I return for Drag Race All-Stars International. That was what he was missing. I was too nice when she comes back. So you got to come back to the middle. 100%. 100%. When she comes back, she's coming back and she ain't holding no prisoners. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's the biggest misconception. That I'm just lovable. <laughs> she's not lovable, guys. She just told you here. James is lovable. James is lovable. <laughs> um, what is something, since this show is called Expose, that you can expose that did not get shown on cameras that you wish would have? Oh. That didn't get exposed. I mean, this is where, like, for me, a lot of what I did was shown. And it's probably why I had so much airtime. But a lot of what I did was shown. I would probably say, what was it shown? Was there, like, any funny moments that happened with the cast behind scenes? Was there a moment where you, like, were in a hotel and X happened? Like, anything at all that you just wish that there would have been a camera there during your experience? I think... The untucked episode where Scarlett got called out for blackface. I think it would have shown, I think, a lot of people's... It was probably the first time I had seen a lot of the queens be themselves Mm. in the way that they were scared. They were terrified to talk about this issue and they were terrified of how it was going to look and they were worried about Scarlett and they were worried about this. And I was like, seeing all these people worried and scared instead of acting how they were acting on camera for the first time, was quite refreshing. And so I would have loved everyone to see everyone truly be vulnerable. It took the series a long time to warm up and get that vulnerability out of some queens. I think it was it was the last episode where Art finally sort of spoke about herself a little bit and came out of her shell a little bit. <gasps> oh my God, no, my episode where I got eliminated and we were untucked. 
And I said Art Simone's name on the runway. And we had this big thing in the workroom. And she was like, I mean, you said my name for this weird reason. You could have just said because I hasn't been in the bottom, because like, I hadn't been in the top. And, you know, da, 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 da. I was like, it wasn't because you weren't in the top. It's because you have not been yourself this whole time. I do not know who you are. Every single queen that has been in this workroom has gone through some sort of change and has some sort of growth. And I know drag is all about growth, but everyone has grown except you. And that was what I said to her. And I thought it, and then, Habadida, the next episode, Artsamon goes through some growth and change. I would have loved for that to have been shown because I'd like to think that me rocking her up maybe pushed her to sort of her shit out the next episode. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, 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 you were like, nope, nope, I don't like your, your inauthenticity. I was not afraid to talk the whole time. You got to. RuPaul says, you've got the gig, now do something. What he means by that is, You've got the gig. You're on the show. Open your mouth. What comes out is up to you. But you have to do something. Otherwise, they say bye-bye. Yeah. You're not going to show the judges something. They're not going to see anything. They're not going to like you. They're not going to be impressed. Then you're in the bottom two. That's true. And it's like a lot of queens have said, too. Like, you watching so many seasons of Drag Race, you know what RuPaul wants and you know what is expected. And if you just tap into that in some shape, form, or way, he's going to like you and then you're going to be golden. Absolutely. I would love to know what's coming up down the road for you. I know that you said that a lot of things have been canceled and stuff. Do you have anything going on? Any new dabbles or adventures that people should be on the lookout for? Yes. And I know everyone's going to hate it because every drag queen does it, but I am working on music. And it's not music like, I'm going to try and be a singer now. And I can sing. I can sing quite nicely. But I'm doing like dance music. I'm making like club tracks and like dance tracks. And like, it's all going to be very much music video based. Think very like 90s MTV, powerful, amazing music videos with epic dances and the fire and the water. Yeah, that's where I'm probably heading. Are we talking like rhythm as a dancer type music? Like... Like More like Rhythm nine, Nation? Rhythm Nation? Oh, okay. Okay. But like techno EDM dance music, if you can imagine the two. Um, and yeah, and I'm I'm performing live everywhere when and where I can. Um, on my Instagram, you know, got the merch. There's going to be a plushie coming out, you know. Um, if you are in Auckland in, later this year, check out Don't Touch the Queers. That's my big fabulous cabaret. And... So yeah, I, I'm, we're, we're doing what we can, but um, most of it is going to be on Instagram. So yeah, follow me there. The Real Electra Shock. The Real Electra Shock. Well, my last question. What is words of wisdom or advice that you have for our beautiful LGBTQIA plus community? I know exactly the thing to say, and it's something that I asked my... I'll tell you the story. I asked my dad when I was probably... 18, 19 years old, and I was living probably in Australia or God knows where I was at the time. And it was about figuring out how to pay bills and all this stuff. And I rang my dad and I said, when do you just grow up? And how does this all work? Like, when do you feel like an adult? Like, what, what, when does that happen? And my dad said to me, we're all just figuring it out as we go along. And those words, as soon as you remember that every single person in the world, RuPaul, is still figuring it out as he goes along. It takes the pressure off a little bit. You know what I mean? We all have that crazy internal monologue, that voice in our head, those existential days where we go, 
am I the only person in the world who feels like this? Or do they think like that too? Every single one of us is just figuring it out. No one knows how to have a baby. They just get pregnant. Do you know what I mean? They get pregnant and then they, they, they read a book and they research. They, it just, you just figure it out. A weird analogy, I know. But like, you know what I mean? You just, no one knows how to buy a house. You just suddenly realize you have to. You know, no one knows how to pay a phone bill. It just comes in the mail and you figure it out. Oh, should I better go earn some money and pay this bill? We're all figuring out life as it happens. So chill out. Take the pressure off. Have fun. Those are really good words. I like that. That was different. Like, you know, normally people are like, love yourself, be good, be cool. But figure, like, it's okay to figure things out. Like, everybody's figuring things out. Yes. We're all just figuring it out. Especially because dark times are dark times. Do you know what I mean? There's no point pretending that they're not dark times, or that you're not having a shit day, but you're not the only one. Everyone is figuring this shit out. Well, thank you so much, Electra Shock, for being here and exposing yourself. Um, where can everybody find you on the socials? You said the real Electra Shock. Yes, I'm the real Electra Shock on Instagram. I'm the real Electra Shock on TikTok, and www.therealelectroshock.com is my website. Until next time, I'm at Joseph A. Shepherd on everything social. Bye. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Exposed Dragged Out, brought to you by The Dip. I'm Joseph Shepard, your host. You can follow me on all things social at Joseph A. Shepard. That's S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D. You can also go to thedip.com slash RuPaul's Drag Race. The Dip with two P's dot com. That's the dip with two P's.com. Use promo code EXPOSE for 50% off your membership. And be sure to check out other podcasts from the dip, including Hot Off the Mess with Samantha Bush, the Daily Pop Culture Podcast, Pop Chaser, TV History Podcast, TV Watch Repeat, Real Housewives Podcast, The Slut Pick Podcast, and also I Am the Cute One, a Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen podcast. Until next time, I'm Joseph Shepard.